Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession this morning comes from Proverbs 21, verse 18. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous, and the unfaithful for the upright. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous, and the unfaithful for the upright. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This verse, and like today's proverb, is both a warning to the wicked and a promise to the faithful. We live in a very dangerous world. Violence happens. Injustice. Evil and suffering are a part of our existence. And because of this, there are times when the righteous and the upright find themselves in the line of fire, in the path of destruction, or in the crosshairs of life. And this is not a reason for them to despair, though. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Proverbs 11, verse 9 says, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it, com- trouble and it comes on the wicked instead. Then, lest we have trouble wrapping our heads around what God could possibly mean by this, He gave us a whole Bible full of examples. Remember Achan, who stole from Jericho what he wasn't supposed to? Achan was swallowed up by the ground, and the congregation was spared the wrath of God. David, unjustly persecuted by Saul, was put on Saul's throne while Saul meets a cowardly and ungodly end. Jezebel persecuted the church, persecuted Elijah, the prophet. In the end, she was fed to the dogs, and her prophets were slain. While Elijah, vindicated by God's fire from heaven, with feet as fleet as the chariot, ran away. Hezekiah was delivered, and Sennacherib was slain by his own sons in the temple of his false gods. Daniel's accusers were thrown into the lion's den when God delivered him. Haman was hanged on his own gallows while Esther, Mordecai, and the Jews were spared. The prophets, the Psalms, the wisdom literature of Scripture all proclaim these truths throughout. In the New Testament, Peter is set free from jail and Herod is eaten by worms. The Sanhedrin's best weapon against the church, Saul, becomes the church's greatest evangelist. And then, Paul was saved from the chief priests, being sent to Rome while the most zealous and vehement Jewish conspirators presumably died of dehydration and starvation or broke their solemn vows and oaths before God. Ultimately, Jesus grapples death and Satan, dragging them down to their demise And God brings Jesus back from the dead, establishing him Lord over everything. This is the world we live in. 
By faith, we fear God and trust Him to deliver us from evil. And God gives fair warning to the wicked and the unfaithful. He says, repent and accept the free grace of the gospel or suffer the just, righteous, and holy wrath of God. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel as we pray. for a couple weeks um, for Easter and Palm Sunday and, but that's okay because that's what Acts is all about Peter Stephen, Philip, Barnabas and Paul have simply been doing all that Jesus began to do and teach in Jerusalem the book of Acts is the continuation of Jesus' work the book of Acts is a continuation of the book of Luke. And so it's appropriate that we go back and focus on the center of it all, the end of Luke, the resurrection. Especially as it's that time of year. And we see that all of these men, Peter and Stephen, Philip, Barnabas and Paul, the heroes of Acts, have been doing what Jesus did in Jerusalem and in Galilee, also in Jerusalem, but, but bringing it out from there to Samaria and to Damascus and Syria and on out into Asia Minor and modern-day Turkey. The message is the gospel, simple, straight, and powerful. Jesus Christ, dead and resurrected, the fulfillment of the, of the Old Testament scriptures, and so much more than the Jews expected, and so much better than the Gentile proselytes expected. These men encounter challenges, political challenges, spiritual, doctrinal, personal challenges, but all the way, Jesus is continuing his work, and the church grows and prospers. It overcomes, and God is glorified. Picking up where we left off, Paul, Paul and Silas were on... Paul's second Timothy, uh, second, sorry, second missionary journey. They had left Antioch in Syria, which is just north of Israel. They traveled north by land to Cilicia. That's where Tarsus was, uh, Paul's home country. And then they went up to the towns where Paul had planted churches in Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And they just visited the churches there. And, uh, and that's where they met Timothy. And they conscripted him and said, we want you to come with us. And they circumcised him. And, and now he's part of their traveling group. He's part, of the, he's part of the entourage. But now we come to a little bit of a gap in the timeline of the story as they encounter two major roadblocks on their journey. Acts 16, verses 6 through 8. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. 
So, passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. So this is a three verses, quick, snap, snap, snap. They're, 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 Luke is moving us along. And he says that Paul and Timothy and Silas have encountered two roadblocks. The distance from where they had picked up Timothy to Troas is 350 miles. 300, they covered 350 miles as the crow flies, so it was, it was more than that. The three of them were probably traveling on foot, and it would have taken them two to three weeks of steady travel every day, eight, hour, eight hours a day of just walking. We don't know how long it took them. Um, we do know that it was not for lack of desire that they didn't stop along the way. Paul and Silas and Timothy were prohibited from ministering where they were at. They were, the, ver, the, the, the verse says, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. They were walking right through the middle of Asia. And the, the Holy Spirit forbids them to minister the gospel. What is that all about? This is not what we've seen so far with Paul's ministry. He's always preaching wherever he goes. And here he is, and God is constraining him. He's, he's like, put the brakes on, Paul. So they're traveling through, and the Holy Spirit has forbidden them to, to preach the word in Asia. And then they come to Mycia, which is in Asia. It's a region in Asia, and it's west of of Iconium, as they're traveling through modern-day Turkey towards towards the, the the west coast of it, which is on the Aegean Sea, um, they attempt to go where they're not forbidden. So there's, God says, "You may not preach the gospel in Asia." So they're in Mycenae in Asia, and they say, "Well, okay, well we can't preach here." So they try to go into Bithynia, which is a region to the northeast of Asia, just to the northeast. It's the, the next closest area that they could go to to preach. Paul, I mean, these people are on a mission. They're missionaries. Let's go preach there. But the Spirit did not permit them. So they come to Troas. Troas is, is, on, is a coastal city on the, on the western shores of Turkey. And Troas is, is, is the, the same city, it's four miles from the ancient city of Troy, where, where the, the Troy of, of, of the Iliad and the Odyssey, is where, where Agamemnon had, had sent his armies to fetch back Helen of Troy. And so that's, that's where they're at. This is where they've landed, in Troy, on, on the coast, the western border of Turkey, at the shores of the Aegean Sea, directly opposite from Greece. And we don't know how they were stopped. We, we're not told in what manner they were forbidden to preach in Asia. We, we can conjecture. I mean, it may have been a prophet of God told them, you may not preach the gospel in Asia. It, it may have been a dream. It may have been an angel. We, we don't know. But we do know that that was the case. Neither are we told how the Spirit did not permit them to travel into Bithynia. It might have been poor health. It might have been finances or weather. We don't know. But we do know that the Lord used means and they were not permitted to travel into Bithynia. 
so what's, what's God doing here? Why not? Well, we don't know the big story when we're in the middle of it. We must trust God and follow His Spirit's leading. In, in hindsight, and hindsight's 2020. In hindsight, we know what happens in this region, exactly where Paul and, and Silas are. We know that these regions were later all evangelized by Peter. And that there was a large Jewish population here. A, a, a population, they, they were Jews of the diaspora. And, and we know Peter writes to them in his first general epistle, uh, which is to this region. Peter, 1 Peter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in... These are all regions within this, right, this, this specific area. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So it's not that the gospel wasn't meant for these people. It's just that it wasn't Paul's job right now. Peter was the missionary to the Jews. And Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles. And this is kind of what Luke's point is here. Luke kind of skips over these issues very quickly. He, he, he just gives us three quick boom, boom, boom. You know, bam, here, this is what happened. Three verses, and then verse 9, a vision. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. This is in Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, remember, this wasn't part of Paul's... And remember Paul and Barnabas, their original plan for the second missionary journey? wasn't so much to be a second missionary journey as much as to be a follow-up to the first missionary journey. Remember Barnabas had said to Paul, he's like, let's go back and check on the churches that we planted. Let's go visit them. Well, they've done that. Paul's gone to the churches in, in, in Asia Minor, and, and Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. And that's, that's where their missionary journey was. But now, Paul's lost. He's, he's wandering. He's, he's, he's seeking God's will. He's, he's on fire. He's a man with a mission. He's got a, he's got a word. He's got a gospel. And he's wandering for 350 miles. And then God gives him a vision. Visions are really important in Acts. Well, all through the Bible. But they're really important in Acts. And they come at crucial points. Remember Paul's conversion. He's, 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 he's coming and he's going he's gonna to attack that church in, in, in Damascus. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he has a vision. And he's completely turned around. It's a 180. It's a major change. And then Ananias has a vision concerning Paul. This, this is... Paul is a key element in the book of Acts, and, and Luke is, is, uses visions to, to bring out God's direction in his life. And so he's got Paul's, Paul's got a vision of his conversion, and Ananias has a vision of Paul's conversion. The next time we see visions is Cornelius and Peter, the first Gentile convert. And that those visions become the basis and on which Peter and Paul can defend the gospel that goes out to the Gentiles without circumcision. 
That's, remember at, at the Jerusalem Council, it's those visions. How can we fight against what God is doing? He has intervened here. He has revealed himself here. Well, here we have another vision. And here we see that it is very important that Paul head on over to Macedonia. Macedonia was the northern section of Greece. Greece was divided into two sections, the northern and the southern. And so the, the upper part that was closer to the European land mass was Macedonia. And the lower part included uh, Athens and Corinth and Sparta. So Paul, the next thing we see is that Paul takes this vision to heart as a message from God in how he interprets it, in his interpretation and, and his subsequent obedience to the vision in, in his travel to Macedonia. Verse 10. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is faith. Paul's been waiting on the Lord. He's, he's been waiting on the Spirit's guidance. He's been he's he's been see, he's not he's he's not he's, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Paul has no moss. He's 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 trying to get somewhere. And this is faith. They concluded that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel to Macedonia. And it must have come as quite a relief and a lift to their spirits after their hundreds of miles of travel and thwarted attempts to minister. However, notice that something changed in this verse. Luke has joined the apostles. He's gone from third person, plural, to first person, plural. The tense, the tense has changed. This brings up an interesting issue in deciphering the text. Luke doesn't give us much of a transition. I mean, let, here, I'll read through it real quick. And a vision appeared to Paul all the time. It's been Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, them. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately... We sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And so now we've got a section of verses here where it's us and we. Luke is now a part of the group. Luke doesn't give us much of a transition. They, vision, we. So where did he come from, and what are we to do with this? Part of the difficulty is here, in here is the modesty of first century authors. I, when you read the books that authors in the Bible write, when they talk about themselves, they do it in weird fashions. Um, John, in, 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 the, in the book of John, um, He's always referred to as the beloved disciple. Never as, when he's writing about himself, he doesn't write his own name. He says, 
the beloved disciple. Jesus said this to the beloved disciple. Or when he writes about his mother, he, he does it in a different fashion than the other Gospels talk about his mother. Um, they, it, it says Mary and the sister of Mary is, is how John talks about his mother. Well, the other Gospels call her by her name, Salome. And so uh, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and, and all of a sudden he just pops into the story. Um, and it's likely that Theophilus would have been familiar with Luke's part in the story because he was the one who Luke was writing this to. He, he knew Luke. Um, but I think the best explanation is in a, a hypothesis that, that's been put out by William Ramsey. He got it from another guy that Luke was the man from Macedonia. Luke was the man from Luke was a Gentile Christian. And he came to Paul to beg him to bring the gospel to Macedonia. In many ways, this would shadow what happened with Paul and Ananias, the other time that Paul had a vision, shortly after his conversion. Paul had seen Ananias in a vision, and then Ananias had come to him to tell him what to do. So, in Acts 9, verses 10 to 12, we read... Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. So there Paul was led by a Jewish Christian from complete and total unbelief and rejection of, God, of Jesus as a Pharisee to faithfulness as a Jewish Christian. And so far, most of Paul's works have definitely come in the context of Judaism. His converts have come from the Jews and Gentiles who were either sympathetic to or at least familiar with the Jewish customs, God-fearers. And most or all of his opposition and persecution has been at the hands or the instigation of Jewish unbelievers. So Paul is, is fighting this battle for the gospel in Asia Minor, and his opponents... And most of his converts are Jews or Gentiles who are interested in Jewish life, Jewish faith. And for, exa and for example, when he was persecuted in Damascus, it was at the hands of the Jews, and he fled to Jerusalem. There he was persecuted by the Hellenists, Jews, in Jerusalem. Then when he was on his first missionary journey, and he's standing before a Gentile, Sergius Paulus, on the, on the island of Cyprus, he's, he's, he's arguing for the gospel. But who's he arguing against? He's arguing against Elamas, who was a Jewish false prophet. So Sergius Paulus was listening to Jewish things. 
Unbelieving Jews in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra were the ones who attacked him there. And his battles with the Judaizers in Antioch and at the Jerusalem Council were all Jewish-related things. But now we find Paul again, called by Jesus, wandering about and waiting for a clear call. He's wondering what to do. And God sends another vision, a clear call to a Gentile land by a Gentile. A Macedonian man says, come help us. And the next thing we know, we have a Gentile Christian, Luke, who is part of his entourage. I mean, just one verse to the next. And on top of this, Luke probably lived in Philippi. And how do we know this? Well, because after Paul and Silas and Timothy leave for Thessalonica, the next town in Macedonia, and then they go to Berea, and then they go on south, and they end up down in Athens and Corinth. Um, <clears throat> when they leave Philippi, all of a sudden the we verses stop. It goes back into third person plural. It's no longer first person. Luke stays in Philippi when they leave. And the next time we come back to the we verses, in chapter 20, Paul's on his third missionary journey, and he stops in Philippi. And from there on, we've got we again. And from there on, Luke becomes Paul's traveling companion, and he just goes where Paul goes. And he, I mean, he, he stops here and there a couple times, but, but by and large, from there on, he's, he's, he goes where Paul goes, and he ends up with Paul in Rome at the end of the book. So if Luke was from Philippi, that would have made him a Macedonian, a man of Macedonia. So there, we've explained the abrupt change in narrative, and I've digressed. We do know that they decide to go. And then Luke tells us about the trip, verses 11 through 12. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. A couple things. This is a trip of roughly 100 miles. And they cover it in two days. Things, things are clipping along now. God has greatly blessed their obedience to his call. They, the, the text says they ran a straight course. That's one word in, in Greek, and it's a nautical term. And it means the wind was at their back. The, the wind filled their sails. They ran a straight course to the direction that they wanted to go. And, and they, they spent one night in harbor, and the next day they arrived at Neapolis, which is a small harbor city, and it's the harbor city for, for the city of Philippi. And Philippi was a major city in a major city in Macedonia. It was a colony, and, that, and a colony. What that means is it was inhabited. It was given to uh, Roman veteran soldiers. It was a Roman city. It was considered a, 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 a it was self-governing. Its govern. Its two men were in charge. They were called the Duumviri, and and they called themselves Praetors, and and they were appointed by Rome itself to govern 
This, the city was given the status of Jus Italicanum, which means uh, that they were tax-free. If they were Roman citizens, they were tax-free. They were, they were allowed to govern themselves, and they were, they were given, they were not subject to the, uh, the rule of the region, the, of, of, the, of the, the states around them. So it was a very Roman city, and it was big, big and very important to them, but we'll get more into that next week. The first thing that happens in Philippi is the conversion of Lydia, verses 13 to 15. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, and here he lands in a Gentile land, still in Philippi. The first place he goes is where the Jews would be found. And it's not a synagogue, because there is no synagogue in Philippi. Otherwise he would have gone there. And, and the way this worked is if there weren't enough Jews to have a quorum for a synagogue, they would go down to the river to pray. Because that's, that's, that's they, they, they had these, they were basically called um, prosepta, which basically means that they're, they're, they're places of prayer. And, and they would go down to the river because part of the Jewish worship would included washings. And so they, they would go where the water was. And, and they would be open-roofed and open-walled open places, and, 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 and Jewish proselytes or, or Jewish people outside of their, 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 the region or away from a synagogue would go there on the Sabbath day to pray. And, and that's where Paul goes. The gospel is always to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so he goes, he goes there, and the first convert is Lydia. And she's a woman from Thyatira. And Thyatira is a city in Asia, which he wasn't allowed to minister to. But, but now in, in Philippi, he is allowed to minister to Lydia. And she, the, it says, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And it's a beautiful picture of salvation, of how God works. And he draws those whom he's chosen to him. She was from Thyatira, and, and that city was, was, was famous for its purple dyes. There's a, a, a mollusk that grows there that the shells, they would crush, and, and it would make a purple dye. And, and they, this dye was the official color, that purple was the official color of, of the Imperial Rome. Um, it, her, her work, her, her wares, her business would have been a very valuable business because purple was the color of royalty and she was the one who supplied the garments for those people. And she was changed. She was drawn to Christ. And she's, she's converted to the Lord and, and her heart was genuinely changed. She was genuinely kind and generous. And in her hospitality... Paul and his, and his cohorts were given an excellent beachhead from which to, to take dominion of Europe. 
She's like, move into my house. And they're like, all right. She, they, they loved her. She opens her, her, her home to them and warmly embraces them with, out of the gratitude from the salvation that was freely being given to her. And she would have been well supplied. Being a wealthy businesswoman, she would have been enabled to, to, to provide for them well. So now they've got a base of operations in Philippi. But Paul's not done in Philippi, though. Next week, he will encounter another woman in Philippi, a pagan prophetess with the spirit of a python. That, and in that encounter, will gain him a whole other kind of hospitality. Not so pleasant, but we'll get into that next week. But now for some application. The first thing we, we can learn from our text is, is determining God's will. This is Paul's second journey, and determining God's will for him all the way along in this journey has been difficult, it's been struggle, and it's been frustration. He's, he's come against these roadblocks. At first, it starts right out with his division with Barnabas, overtaking John Mark with them. And then that, that goes well for a bit, and they pick up Timothy. Um, but then they're shut down in Asia. And then they're shut down for going to Bithynia. And they're spending weeks and weeks traveling and not, not really getting anywhere, not doing anything. Um, but we know that that's okay. God has a greater master plan. And when we're in the midst of struggle, we must trust Him. We, we just have to, to back off and say... Lord, I'm going to keep pursuing your will, but I'm going to be at peace with where you've got me until you open the door. We know that God wasn't just tossing Asia and Bithynia out the door. Peter ultimately witnessed there. Paul was sent instead to his intended goal to Greece, to Europe, but he didn't know that yet. So when you're in the middle of that time of life, and you're just trying to wrestle with and figure out where am I supposed to go, what am I supposed to do, have faith, have patience, seek for the right answer, wait for revelation, pray for God to reveal to you what it is God has for you. Don't sit still, but keep, keep, keep working at it. Don't, don't just give up. But at the same time, Dream big. Don't, don't. That Paul was seeking, he wanted the gospel to go out. He's like, give me Asia. Give me Bithynia. I mean, he's talking about whole regions of, of countries. Expect big things. It's, that Paul lands at Troy is kind of emblematic. Troy is, a, is, is the ancient Troy. It's, it's a famous site, and and there there have been multiple great men who have gone through there. Um, and and you know Paul is, is like Alexander the Great who went to Troy, and and from there he went to conquer all of the Eastern world. Well, Paul's going west. And he's going to conquer all of the Western world. We've got two great great uh, and generals. Two great generals at the same place at the start of their great, great campaigns. Paul's headed for Rome, and Alexander's headed for the Ganges. But Alexander's kingdom had fallen. It had paved the way 
for the Greek language to go and bring the gospel everywhere. I mean, that's why the gospel is written in Greek, is because Alexander established Greek cultures. He brought all these people into one organizable head. But Jesus has taken that. He's that small stone who's taken over and, and taking that. So expect big things, even though you don't know what you're supposed to do yet. Look for the opportunities to do big things. Next, when you get the vision, when God gives you a call, embrace it. Jump into it with both feet. When you get the vision, accept it as from the Lord. Purpose to do it. Conclude, like Paul and Silas and Luke did, that this is from the Lord. And just put your back into it. Work hard at it. Hindsight is 2020, and those who've been through this sort of thing are consistent in this refrain. Don't put your hand to the plow and then look back. God doesn't want a half-hearted, He doesn't want lukewarm. He wants all of you, so give yourself to Him. Don't look back. Paul's mission wasn't back with Barnabas. He, should, he didn't need to be sitting there biting his nails. Maybe I should just stay with Barnabas. I mean, I'm stuck here in Asia doing nothing. His mission wasn't in Asia or Bithynia or Mycenae. It was right in front of him. And God put him where he wanted him, when he wanted him. And then God gave him everything he needed to accomplish what God wanted him to do. Embrace that. Embrace God's will. And then rejoice in it. Rejoice when you find the wind in your sails and God pushing you full speed ahead to Philippi. Embrace it and, and rejoice when God gives you the fruitful harvest of a wealthy business lady. If you think about it, Paul, Paul, had, Paul had changed a lot. He brings the gospel to a Gentile proselyte woman in a Gentile land. And it's worth his time to sit down and share the gospel with her. And God rewards it. It gives him a fruitful harvest. When Paul later writes to, Philippi, Philip, to the Philippians in the book, Philippians, it's filled with his joy in their, in their community, in their church, from the beginning, from the first. He rejoices in his, in his ministry with them and to them. And God just gives him sweet fellowship and sweet hospitality. God pours it on thinking, and, and he rejoices in that. Now, this doesn't mean that there's never going to be any more bumps once you're in God's will and things are going pretty good for a while. I mean, this isn't life through rose-colored glasses. I mean, on the contrary, this is all true and good. This is full blessing, shaken down, pressed down, good measure, generously poured out. But, next week we're going to see how the principles of these men will be tested, and their gospel comes in direct con contact with the false gods of the Gentiles. But that's, that's next week. For now, let's pray in the name of the Father.
today's the second Sunday of Easter. And in this season, we remember and rejoice in the victory that is ours in Him. He is our elder brother. He is our gentle, kind, and loving Lord. He has poured Himself out for us, and He has filled us with Himself. We cannot exhaust His resources. We are nothing without Him. Without Him we die. Without Him is misery. Without Him we flail aimlessly. But with Him we are like Paul, conquerors of the known world. With Him we have peace. With Him, patience, strength, grace, and beauty. We need His power, and we need His Spirit. But by God's grace, we have exactly what we need. He comes to us and offers himself again to us without fail. Every week he reestablishes covenant with us. Every week he washes away our sins. Every week he comforts our sorrows and heals our wounds, giving of himself, empathizing, sharing life, sharing passion, and sharing his vision for our world. A vision of love, truth, justice, peace, and glory. Now go out, seek his will, embrace it, know his blessings, and enjoy his grace. Spread the good news of his gospel because it is life for us and it is life for the world. Don't fear because he is with you. And you know this because you partake of him here. Christ's body broken for us. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.